God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Those are verses 5 to 9 of Psalms 47, which along with Psalm 48 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, July the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing uh, our walk through the book of Joshua. Today we're in the 8th chapter, verses 1 to 22, so it's a very long reading. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verses 47 to 56, the arrest of Jesus. And then in uh, Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. So it, remember yesterday what had happened was is they went up, the people of Israel, the, they sent 3,000 men actually against the city of Ai, and it didn't go well. <laughs> they were routed, and then they come back. Joshua implores the Lord about the matter and, and learns that they have taken some things from Jericho, things that were devoted to destruction. They took them, and one guy did, Achan, and kept it for himself. And so, therefore, the, they're not going to have success until they get this pollution of the defi- the devoted things out of their midst. So they're uh, ordered to consecrate themselves. And now here we are picking up the story again. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. He tells him this a lot. <laughs> Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. So the spies, the reason he only sent 3,000 before is because the spies said there's not very many people there. It won't take much of a force to conquer Ai. And, well, it didn't go well. So he says, Lord says, take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I've given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and livestock you shall take as plunder for yourself. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So this, in this case, there's a difference between Jericho and Ai, which is it's, it's an interesting difference because now they can plunder. Everything isn't devoted to destruction here. They can actually plunder A.E. in a way that Jericho couldn't be. So that was the problem, in fact, at Jericho. So it's odd that that God changes it around here and and gives them the opportunity to to plunder. So they're, they're to lay an ambush against the city behind it. In other words, not where they're looking for. So Joshua and all the fighting men rose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000, so 10 times the force, men of mighty men of valor, and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they'll say they're fleeing from us just as before, so we will flee before them. So Joshua's going to take a group of people. They're going to go up towards the gates of the city. The people of Ai will come out against them. And then Joshua and them are going to turn and flee in order that the people who are in ambush on the other side of the city can now come up against it. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you've taken the city, you shall set it on fire. You shall do... According to the word of the Lord, see, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. 
Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, and he and the elders before of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they've got these people set in both places now. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment, north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent his night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place beyond the Arabah, toward the Arabah, to meet Israel in battle. But he didn't know there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. So the ruse is working. They've, they've drawn them out, and, and now the city is emptied of men. There would have been children and women there still, but the men all went out because it looked like they were going to achieve this great victory. So they all went out together after Joshua and Israel into the Arabah. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. If you've seen the movie Braveheart, there's a a, a scene in there early on, one of the first major battles that the the Scots undertake against... um, the British, when Mel Gibson's character, William Wallace, ha- has spoken to the nobles who are mounted on horses and said, make it look like you're leaving us. Go away as though you, you're giving up on us and leaving us to fight this battle alone. And then but right around here behind them, and then I'll give the sign and you come forward against them. And so they rout the English by this ruse. And it's the same basic thing that Joshua's done here. So then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And that's the sign to the people who are in ambush waiting. It's, it's the sign to say, okay, they've all come out. Now you can come against us, the city. So he stretched out the javelin toward the city, and the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, Behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. <clears throat> so when, when they saw what was going on, then they turned around and saw the, the smoke. And when they did, they panicked. They had nowhere to go because now he, uh, he Joshua, and his people against him are now converging in their direction, not fleeing from them any longer. And this, the, the reference, the smoke of the city went up there. It sounds a lot like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, a lot like what happened there. And, and so they, they're uh, ruining the city, making it an un, uninhabitable mess now. And that's the, the end of A.E. <clears throat> as far as that's concerned, that, that that's the end of, of A.E. because the city is now going to be burned to the ground in the same way that Jericho was ruined and brought down to the ground. 
And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. So they utterly destroyed the men of Ai, as they were intended to do. In order to conquer the land, that was the thing, is, is that, that they, were to, they were to destroy all the inhabitants of the land. Their failure to do so is what continually haunted them into the future um, because they were, they were constantly beset by these, these peoples who were coming against them. So the, the, remember the reason they were to do this, and it was because of the abomination of the Canaanite religion and that the Lord allowed for 400 years the, the sin of the Canaanites to fill up the land, but then it became so much that his judgment came against it in the same way that his judgment came against those it, it, the generation of the time of the flood. In the gospel, Jesus has been speaking with the disciples. He, they, they remember yesterday they'd been to the Garden of Gethsemane, and now they'd come back among the other disciples because he had taken just the three, James, John, and Peter, with them. So now they're back. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd of swords and with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So what what it means is is that the the chief priests and the elders, the Sanhedrin, the great council, had sent these people out there to arrest Jesus. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, "The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him." And he came up to Jesus at once and said, "Greetings, Rabbi," and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. So even in this moment that Jesus knows is his betrayal, he looks at Judas and calls him friend, even in that moment. And then they came up and laid hands on him and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he'll at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And, and that's what Judas, I believe, hoped would happen. I don't think Judas's intention was for Jesus to be crucified. I think he, his intention was to force Jesus's hand to do the things he, Judas, believed should be done. And now the messianic king would take his rightful place. But, but it would all happen in, in this way. Judas was attempting to, to um, manipulate and, and bring about the fulfillment of the mission he absolutely believed Jesus was there to do, which was to, to restore the kingdom of Israel and the temple. So <clears throat> Jesus, however, says no. Don't do this. I could do this. I could appeal to my father, and he would send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Exactly what Jesus had prayed about in the garden was to avoid this thing. And now he's saying it could be avoided, but if it's avoided, then the scriptures won't be fulfilled, and and you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Do you think I'm a dangerous, desperate criminal who you're going to have to take with violence? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching you you didn't seize me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled.
which is exactly what Jesus had said would happen. His own prophecy was that they would do exactly this thing, which was flee and leave him. So Jesus is conscious of the fact that he knows how this has to go down in order for his sacrifice to atone for sin. And so he has to go through all the suffering. And so the, he, he has prayed to God that, that it might be some other way. But the answer is given that, no, it must be this way. And so now Jesus is um, fully accepting, and he's, he's willing to go through all that must be done in order to accomplish the task for which he was sent. In the Romans passage, Paul says, again, he, he's he's teaching people how to live together. You know, that once you accept Christian theology, once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, once you accept that his sacrifice atoned for your sin and that you have died and been risen with Christ in God, then then you got to figure out how do we live going forward? Now that I've become this new creation, how do I live going forward? And, and he starts this whole discourse with saying that you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may accept what is good and, good and perfect and acceptable, that you approve those things. So now he's going to tell us how to deal with other people. He's told us basically how to live you know, our lives. Now he's talking about how do we deal with other people. Uh, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So Paul's talking about the weaker brother here as the one who, who is a vegetarian. And, and it, it, but what he's saying is, is in this weakness, is, is that that person has, has yet to um, achieve the full understanding of God's will and God's ways. It, it doesn't mean that that, that person is, is weak in faith. It means that they have, they have yet to have freedom in its full measure. And so when he says this, then, then what he's saying is don't fight about these kinds of issues. Don't quarrel over opinions. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? <clears throat> it's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he'll be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so what he's saying is, is that, that if this person's doing this for the sake of conscience, if this is what they believe, and they honestly believe it, he says these are not matters that should divide us. These aren't essential matters. And so he's, he's drawing a distinction between essential matters and inessential matters and, and saying that, look, you know, it, it's, it's possible that the Lord's convicted this person on this issue for themselves. It's a personal conviction. And maybe, it, maybe there's a reason for that. I don't know. And he says, don't judge that other person because you aren't the one who, who is their judge ultimately. You're, you're judging somebody who God may be speaking to about their own personal conduct. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us die to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And it's important that we understand these principles, because way too often we fight over these kinds of things. 
and, it, and it's silliness, Paul says. Look, he said, there's no commandment regarding these things that, that governs all people. So it, God left some things as, as personal decisions. And so he says, look, if people want this day, then, then do this. If people think this day is important, then, then that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, these things are, are inessential to the faith, and therefore we've got to give each other liberty. We've got to give each other the freedom, and we've got to give each other the benefit of the doubt that we believe that you've come to this honestly. It's like pacifism, frankly. I mean, I've known Christian pacifists and talked to people, and, and the problem can become that, that then they want to impose their will on everybody. But I look at the, the full counsel of Scripture, and, and it's perfectly acceptable for Christians to serve in the military. There's no problem about that. Now, we can talk about just war, like Augustine talked about, and all those kinds of things, but but we we need to be able to protect ourselves. But And, and it's important that Christians be engaged in, in these matters because we want to be salt and light everywhere. And if, so I believe that there's room in these things for disagreement without being disagreeable, where we can say, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that matter. Sometimes that's the best solution to things. And, and we've got to know and decide up front, what are those things where I can agree to disagree with other people about matters that, that can impinge on Christianity, but which are inessential as far as salvation is concerned? He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of him, of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul says, Leave those things aside. Let your judgment be, fall to the ground on these matters as it relates to your brother. You need to, to be, if you can stand before God and say, this is what I believed you told me to do, then fine. But believe the same in these matters about others. And, and it's, it's important that we give each other uh, that grace, that, that we allow ourselves to see one another as brothers and friends and sisters first, and then begin to talk because if if things are not specified as sin then we need to leave those things alone we need to to make sure that we don't do this this burning things to the ground because of um, a disagreement over inessential matters it's important that we recognize that we come together under jesus that we come together under his banner in all things and that our attitude should be like his attitude. We should be willing to allow ourselves to be used for his purpose, no matter what the personal cost to us might be. Ultimately, we know that here, that, that in all things, as in what happens at AE, it looks like defeat first and then becomes great victory. And we need to leave that to God. We need to leave all of these things to him to, to say, how do you want us or me as an individual to navigate things? Because in the end, what we want is victory, victory for him. And we want his banner to go forward and his name to be great.